Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world? I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is the Mindful Marketplace. Welcome to another edition of the Mindful Marketplace here on bizradio.us. Welcome. We're glad to have you, whether you are a longtime listener or whether this is your very first time with us. If this is your first time, just so you know, on this program, we talk to entrepreneurs, advisors, industry leaders, investors, and economic experts who are not only making a profit, but who are doing their part to create sustainable, equitable, and democratic economies along the way. Uh, It's where we learn really to connect our money and our time to our values, to our community, and to ourselves. Today, we're going to be picking up on a conversation that we left off with with Amanda Claypool, who is a consultant and a writer who's been featured on Business Insider and has her blog on Medium. And we're going to be talking about an article that she wrote on the history of debt, which is a a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I believe that debt is one of the biggest problems that we have that sort of needs to get addressed and needs to get reimagined and figured out if we are to move in the direction of a more mindful marketplace. Um, And so very glad to get to dive back in here with Amanda Claypool. Amanda, thanks for, for, for being back on the show. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. So if you if you didn't get to listen to the first half of this episode, um, you know when this finishes, or if you're podcasting, go back and listen to that. Um, Amanda tells a little bit about her story and also really talks about an article that she wrote that really blew up. That um, has really, I think, a fascinating thing that you did where she actually went and worked in about the lowest paid job you possibly could um, to, to be able to write about that experience and share with others what it's like for low paid service industry people in our economy today. So please go back and listen to that. Um, but what I wanted to dig in with you here today is another piece that you wrote that really I um, just absolutely loved. You wrote it back at, on June 1st. And I should say, if you, you know, we mentioned it last time, but Amanda, you've been writing a, an essay on Medium every day for the last month or so. Is that right? Yeah. And this this one uh, we're going to talk about was the first one. I just decided that for the month of June, I was going to write an article a day. And I've been nonstop writing ever since. Yeah, that's super impressive. I can't write an essay once a month half the time. So the fact that you're doing it every day is uh, pretty incredible. So the headline of this, I felt like was very intriguing. It said... Your debt isn't meant to be repaid. Here's why. So, you know, I, I think we should start with that that conception that most people have that, you know, the, the purpose of debt is to take it to accomplish something and then to pay it off. But when you're saying your debt isn't meant to be repaid, are you just saying that people, um, you know, shouldn't make their debt payments or are you like, what, what do you what do you mean by that? Where where does that come from? And where what do you mean when you say that? I definitely do want to be clear that 
I'm not advocating that everyone just, you know, run away from their debt obligations. Um, you know, I, I think they <laughs> don't, don't want to sure. give people that, that idea, but yeah. Um, so I wrote this piece based on a book I had read, um, basically outlining the history of, of money and debt and why it exists. And, um, one of the things I learned, uh, by reading and, and studying what debt is, is that, you know, one person's debt you know, is a liability for one person, um, but for another person, it's it's an asset. Um, and so if you think of assets, uh, assets are designed to appreciate and value or, or generate revenue, right? Um, so if you own a, a house and you rent it on Airbnb, for example, you're not going to get rid of your house because it generates revenue for, for you and maybe use that, you know, to support your life or take vacations or whatever. Um, so rational people aren't going to get rid of assets. Assets are good things. Um, so when a debt becomes an asset uh, for banks and lenders, they're not going to make it easy for you to pay it off. Um, they don't want you to because the moment you pay off your debt, they suddenly lose the source of revenue that you were generating for them. Um, and so, so that's why it's really not something that's designed to be repaid. Your debt and your credit worthiness is really designed for as something for you to manage and for something for you to maintain monthly payments on because so long as you can keep making those monthly payments, you're a profitable source of revenue for, for banks and, and lenders. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way to look at it. You know, I I remember you talked about de- uh, assets and and debt here. It makes me think of I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki. Um, you know, he wrote those books in the '90s, like Rich Dad Poor Dad, and um, the Cash Flow Quadrant. And he talks about how people use debt too many times to buy a liability, something that decreases in value over time. Like most people take out a debt to buy a car is a great example, right? The car is worth a lot at the beginning, but it it decreases in value. And he talks about using debt instead to purchase assets, and that that's actually the you know the smart way to use debt is that if you purchase an asset with it, yeah, you may be paying interest, but you're also going to be making money on that asset. But you're kind of taking that and saying, well, actually, we need to kind of step outside of that perspective even further and say that this debt, your debt is actually someone else's asset, meaning a bank or a, a lender of some kind. Is that, am I, am, am I following you right? Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you bringing up Robert um, Kiyosaki, because I think a lot of people don't really understand what their personal balance sheet is. We don't really have a grasp of assets and liabilities and what they actually mean. Um, And I really actually appreciated you referencing um, what you do back at One Million Cups a couple weeks ago, because a lot of people don't realize that when you have an asset, it's something that you can borrow against. Um, So debt, repayment, you know, the things that you do, um, it's, it's, you can use assets as tools to help you on your debt repayment journey and, and, and managing your debt. It's not just something you have to pay, pay off by, you know, slaving away at a job. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this idea of understanding, you know, what assets are, what liabilities are, and really starting to think about personal finance from a business perspective, um, rather than a, a consumer perspective, because when you look at it as, you know, using debt to purchase things to consume, you're you're only helping big banks. You're only helping the people who are lending you money. You're not building equity in yourself. You're not necessarily um, creating an asset that will help you eventually get out of debt. And that's really what you need is you need those assets to generate revenue and appreciate and value. So then you can repay whatever debt you have. 
Yeah. And a lot of people would love to use debt to purchase assets rather than, you know, liabilities or, you know, just basic expenses. But I feel like every month or two now I see a report coming out that shows more and more people due to a variety of things, right? We could talk about, um, you know, labor market, we could talk about um, inflation, we could talk about all kinds of stuff. But due to a variety of reasons that more and more people are using debt, not even just to purchase liabilities like a like a like a car or asset like an education, um, but they're actually just using having to use debt just to pay basic needs. Um, uh, you know, I've, and I feel like you hit on that a little bit here, but that that's that's what really speaks to me. Uh, you know, an example of this, you know, you mentioned my business where we help people protect their assets, but also eliminate their debt, um, usually in half the time or less without spending any extra money. But when I meet with these, usually a lot of times it's new homeowners because the biggest debt that a lot of people have is a, is a mortgage. I multiple times a week will meet with um, new mortgage holders who just took out a 30-year mortgage and they're in their 80s. And I think that speaks to the headline of what you said is that you know, for for banks, for these lenders, it's not actually in their best interest for you to pay off that debt. I would even take it a step further. It's not only not in their interest for you to repay debt, it's also not in their interest for you to acquire assets. Um, because if it, taking, taking a different um, angle of it, mm. if you think about it, when you have an asset that you can use as collateral against a loan, you suddenly become a better lender, right? Um, if I were to go get a business loan today and I had, you know, real estate, for example, that I could put up as collateral, I'm going to get a much better interest rate than if I go today by myself with my personal balance sheet that's filled with debt. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not even, you know, it's not even just that it's it's you're just you're you're not a good source of business for banks when, when you're when you have a strong personal you know, balance sheet and you have assets backing you. Banks don't like that because that's they don't make money off of people who have strong financials. They make money off of people who are in debt and struggling because when you're in debt and struggling, you, you have to take loans. Right. They, they, they make money off people who need them, not people yep. who don't. Yeah, yep, exactly. No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I could talk about this in so many different directions, honestly, but I, I want to stick on your um, on your article here where you, you mentioned a book that I'm actually, um, you know, your, your article, I was already interested in it, but um, your article kind of was the final push for me to go ahead and read it. I'm about a third of the way through um, David Graeber's book, Debt, The First 5,000 Years. <laughs> it's definitely a dense uh, read, and so I'm going through it slowly. But I was really shocked to learn, and I'd love to hear your perspective and what you, your biggest takeaways. I know for me, one of the things so far has just been just how old um, interest bearing debt is he's, he, you know, in the beginning of the book, he makes the case that it's actually predates, um, you know, anything like money or even, you know, a bartering kind of situation, which he says may not have even happened, but that interest bearing debt goes back thousands of thousands of years. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting that I don't think a lot of people realize, and it's really, um, prescient for the conversations we're having today around, you know, student loans, for example, is, Back in you know Mesopotamia and in biblical times, um, there were laws on the books to literally wipe debt clean off the you know clean. People started with a clean slate, and they were able to you know do whatever they needed to do to sustain themselves. And it, when you look at the historical record 
and you see debt jubilees happening throughout history, it makes you realize that debt really isn't meant to be sustainable, right? If, if laws had to be passed to eliminate debt, that's because it got to a point where it was no longer sustainable and it threatened the survivability of, you know, the population. Um, and so this is, you know, it's written um, in, in ancient texts and Hammurabi's code, it's written in the Bible. Um, the Quran talks about debt and how um, interest-bearing loans are prohibited in Islamic banking. Um, and so there's all sorts of, you know, literally laws that governed people's lives up until very recently um, about debt and how interest is supposed to accrue. Yeah, as a, you know, as a pastor's kid growing up, you know, um, I, I was obviously very interested in a, in a, um, a, a quote that you put up here where you quoted the a Bible in, in Leviticus, where it actually says uh, it basically prohibits people from lending to people who are poor and who are desperate and not, you know, not not saying that it's against the, the biblical law to uh, to to charge interest or take profit from their debt. Um, you know, absolutely fascinating stuff. It seems like that changed at some point in Western society. Is that with Rome? Is that, is that, what did you, what did you learn from that? When did that sort of jubilee idea of forgiveness of debt um, sort of disappear? So I think it disappeared with the rise of Protestantism, to be honest. And you, you always hear about the Protestant work ethic, right? And, and what does that mean? It means you take uh, responsibility for your financials, that it's an obligation, that it's something that you have to, to repay. And it's it's indicative of who you are as a person, your, your character. Um, and so once, you know, the Protestant Reformation happened and this idea of the Protestant ethic and capitalism really came um, onto the global scene, I think that's when we started seeing the rise of, you know, debt and, and charging interest on debt for the purposes of, of generating a profit. Before that, you know, you could still charge interest on, on debt. It's not like it was totally um, absent, but this idea of usury or, or deliberately exploiting poor people to charge exorbitant amounts of interest, that, mm -hmm. that's what was prohibited. Um, and so, you know, you see this today in conversations about personal finance, right? A lot of it is about, you know, your personal responsibility and you're not a good person um, if you're in mm -hmm. debt. And, and the book really talks about this, this idea that, you know, you're somehow less than another person because you have debt and it's really like become a scarlet letter in our society. Well, it does seem like, you know, I've talked before about how there's a bit of a financialization of our economy. Like we can see this where we used to be much more production based. You know, we used to have a lot more factories. We would make goods and services. Those things are now you know, the actual production of things seems to happen usually overseas in Asian countries, China obviously being a huge player in that. And we see American companies actually moving to a situation where they're not producing as much, but they are actually using these financial instruments to generate their profit. Like GE comes to mind, right? You know, so GE is, a, you know, they, they, they've made great appliances. They've, you know, they're, they've, been, they've been a good company and had a lot of jobs throughout our country for a long period of time. But at some point, they started moving away from manufacturing and actually make money because they bought insurance companies. They bought um, other companies where people can finance the products bought with um, bought from GE. So when you buy something, you can, uh, we see this all the time now. It's not just GE, but I don't know how many times I, you, when you go to buy something now, you can always do it on installments now. 
but that's because I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's because they know they can make more money selling you a product if you take out a loan to buy it from them because they make money on selling the product and they make money on you on the interest <laughs> that you're that you're being charged. And so it seems like there's a almost a shift in uh you know in just companies that used to not be financial institutions to move in that direction because it can be so profitable. That's exactly right. And, and an example that comes to mind, because um, I, I wrote a piece about this as well, is um, buy now, pay later. So um, the apps now where you can essentially what you said, um, purchase things on installment, um, things like Afterpay and Klarna, I think are two of the bigger ones, um, allows you to purchase things without purchasing them on credit, you're not going to be charged interest per se, but it breaks it into um, smaller loans. That's a really great example. As I was kind of doing research on it, I discovered that Afterpay had been acquired by Square. Um, mm. And so Square is one of the most popular point of sale systems um, that a lot of, you know, coffee shops and restaurants and cafes use. Um, and so when you look at the Square um, fees that they charge their um, the clients that use them, Afterpay is a 6% fee. So there's an incentive that a company like Square uh, would use to you know, want you to purchase something on installments because they make more money charging fees to the people using their uh, point of sale systems. But I mean, it's, it's all over the place. It's, you know, car companies now have financial packages available. And um, the thing that I, I think a lot of people don't realize is the profitability of your debt has been cut up and sliced up and diced up so many different ways that it's really become a complex thing to navigate and, and understand. So if it seems confusing, if it seems overwhelming, that's because it is. And, you know, there's, you know, one of the strategies for not getting too into debt that we've, you know, kind of is, is in that that's been around for a while has been this idea of just don't use debt, just save up for what you need you know, just put it away in a savings account and only buy things with cash. I guess it does seem like more and more with the cost of, you know, cost of things like especially education and housing, just to name a couple of things that have really gone up the most, I think in, in cost. Um, it doesn't seem like that's totally possible for a lot of people. Um, I guess, you know, if you were in your own situation or when you're thinking about kind of moving forward for just the average listener who's like, well, I might be in some debt, I might not be, but how would I avoid getting in more debt or how would I work to actually eliminate that debt and become, you know, free from, from that, that kind of situation where you feel like you may be taken being advantage of or whatever the case might be, I guess, what are, you know, what would you say to someone listening now that is like, okay, that's all, you know, nice and good. I understand that it might not be the most fair situation, but what do I do from here? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and this, you know, might sound a little crazy, but practice a little self-compassion and, you know, recognize the situation for what it is, the system for what it is, and not punish yourself um, for being in debt. Like I'm still in debt, right? Um, there's, to your point, like education, for example, is, is one of my largest debts at the moment. Like I had to take on student loans in order to go to college and in today's society, you need a college degree to get a good paying job. Um, so it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. But um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is to focus on what you can control rather than becoming overwhelmed by the world around you. So I personally recognized my own habits with, with credit cards and how much trouble they got me in. Um, so I just don't use them anymore. And that's been iterative. It's taken me several years, to be totally honest, to get to a point where I feel comfortable enough 
paying for things with my debit card because for the longest time I was scared of using a debit card because I, I just, I come from, you know, a, a debt, a family that, that has a lot of debt and there's, there's a scarcity mindset in that. Um, so, so, you know, it, you have to practice a little self-compassion, be kind to yourself, but the process takes time. Um, so, so focus on what you can rather than what you can't. Yeah, that's that. That's absolutely the. I think the best way to. That's a great mindset to have. Um, you know, of focusing only on the things that you can control when it comes to to these sorts of things. Um, you know, it's. I, I I am curious for you to. You know, as you're. You, you know, I love this article, but you've written a bunch of other ones. You're continuing to write. Um, I'm curious what you um, are most excited about writing about now what you're learning about you know what if someone were to follow you they're not just going to learn about debt they're not just going to learn about um you know the the service industry you you write about a variety of topics what would people find if they go and follow you on medium all sorts of different things um my biggest thing is writing about topics that cause people to pause and think critically um about the information they're consuming and, and what they're doing with it so you know, I write about money and debt, um, but also the future of work and what that holds for us as a society, um, the impact of emerging technologies like blockchain and crypto and artificial intelligence and how how we can use that, you know, to build businesses and to leverage opportunities to build wealth and the new economy that's going to be built off of that. Um, but also, you know, things to consider about the ethics of it and, you know, what it means to be human. Um, so really any any topic that spurs curiosity for me i will typically write about and i hope it spurs equal amounts of curiosity for the folks that follow me yeah and you're i just want to say you're an excellent writer like you take complex things like ai like history of debt like some of these other big heady topics and you make them understandable and clear for people and i definitely would love to have you have more readers as a result of this because i think you're doing some excellent work and you're making it really accessible for people what's the uh, what's the website where people can find you and follow you yeah so i publish on medium um so the url is amandaclaypool.medium.com um if you google me i'll, I'll pop up Awesome. Um, well, thank you again so much for being on the show. I want to remind everybody that uh, you can listen to us, obviously, not only here on bizradio.us, but we are streaming on every podcast platform you can think of, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all of them. Um, so please subscribe, download, and like the show. That is the biggest way you can help us grow what we are doing. Um, and please make sure to go check out what Amanda has been writing on Medium. And until next time, make sure to take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.